0: or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways, and not just on Saturday. Hi guys, so it's Anna David here. Wow, there's some screaming in the background. Do you hear that? It's not the voices in my head. That's actual screaming. Well, hey, so I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm on a bit of a sugar high of sorts because I just returned from having frozen yogurt. Come on, tell me you hear that screaming. Anyway, frozen yogurt with the guest that I'm about to delight you with. And all I can say about her, I mean, there's a lot I can say about her, but... Chief among those things I can say um, is the fact that she's just the girl you want to go and have frozen yogurt with, like all the time. Um, I get into this in the podcast, but she dealing with her taught me a lot about who I wanted, what I wanted to be like when people were dealing with me. Um, her gratitude um, and her sweetness is infectious and 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 extremely admirable. And so, yeah, we just had frozen yogurt and then sat on the street where she told me about a whole bunch of other people that she would think thought would be great for this podcast. That's the kind of gal I'm talking about. Sarah Benincasa is her name. It's also a very fun name to say, Ben Benincasa, four syllables, the last two, if we were playing charades and this was in Mexico, means house. And that's not how you play charades anyway, but... And I don't speak Spanish, but I know that. Um, so yeah, so that, and I think that it's. I think that what is what is fascinating about her is that this is not somebody that you would interact with or know or stand on the street eating frozen yogurt with and go, oh, well, that's definitely a person with mental illness. And that's sort of the point, which is to say that um, you know it's you know takes people from jail and people from Yale. I, I didn't make that up. That's like a total recovery expression, which blew me away the first time I heard it and then it sounded just dumb when I just said it now but a little pretentious too but um a little extreme I mean if I'm gonna really get into critiquing it but but anyway the point is that that you know people who suffer from addiction from mental health issues from any number of these things don't all look the same way and if they are dealing with them and those issues are being treated they can be a sheer delight to deal with and she is Exhibit A. I only knew she had these issues because she's very open about them. Um, She's written this fabulous book, which has fabulous in the title, very smart marketing, Agora Fabulous, which is her memoir about having agoraphobia. And she has a new book out. If it is not out at the moment you're hearing this, it's out any minute or it just came out. You know what I mean? It's called Great. And it's um, a lesbian teen romp based on The Great Gatsby. And uh, she's just she's just awesome. And that's not the most articulate I've ever been. But you don't need me to be articulate because you have Sarah Benengasa today. Um, what else do I want to tell you? I'm thinking of making this podcast weekly. Faithful listeners will recall that it was weekly once upon a time. And then I quickly got overwhelmed because I was building the whole after-party site and feeling like I was going crazy. And so I moved it to bi-weekly because that gave me a little cushion, right? And then I was, because I was always behind the eight ball and I was always just like, oh my God, I need someone right now. And because I decided it was going to post on Thursday night. And, you know, nobody told me that. So, So these are all rules I'm making up. And sometimes when you're making up rules, you'd make decisions like, I'm going to make this every other week. So I am thinking of making it every week just because I feel like you build something up that way. And now I have a few in the bag. So I feel that I am luxuriating in, in all this, this cup runneth over business and that I can, of course, this does remind me a little bit of how I won't have money and then I'll get a big check and then I'll go buy everything and pay off my credit card bills and then I have no money again. So I don't know if that's what I'm doing or if it's actually a healthy thing. Feel free to let me know. You're listening. I can see you downloading it, not you. Don't worry. Are you looking around your apartment right now and going like, is she here? Because that's not happening. I just mean that I'm looking at the numbers and I know you're downloading. So tell me, would you like it every week? Do you like the fact that I'm now talking to non-addicts about their mental health issues? Do you, like the one mean review says, wish, uh, think I have an unfortunate personality or let's be clear, have what your mother would call an unfortunate personality wish I talked less I mean I did talk a lot less in this one because of that quote kind of you know being in my brain but you know look if you're gonna say it say it nice I mean I, I I think that the girl's got a point um she also did call out the fabulous guests I have so she's right about that um but I'm not really yeah it's weird I used to really take those in and really take those on and And feel so sad and so hurt, and I don't know, but I I, I just, I remember that, that bothered me for like a good 10 minutes, and it bothered me when I read it, and then like on the 11th minute, it was sort of fine, but I'm still talking about it, so I guess you could say I'm still bothered by it, but I don't feel it the way I, God, I used to feel those things, Um, and, and it does teach you, it does teach you about not really writing negative things about other people, because it hurts a lot, and you know, you sort of think you're just putting it out there, and that's not a real person that's gonna care if you read it or maybe some people put it out there because it is a real person who will care but when I used to write mean things or just un you know not thoughtful things um and I had the experience of somebody telling me the person I wrote about telling me that they read it and it, it sort of forever changed how I deal with that but anyway I don't need to tell you you guys are not you know you're hardly trolls am I right You guys are people who are interested in making your life better. So you probably know that going and writing nasty things to other people or mean reviews may give you that power surge for a second followed inevitably by a not good feeling. So you're probably not doing that stuff. But maybe you have friends or relatives, loved ones who do it. And maybe you can share that knowledge with them. Who knows? Maybe some people it works. I have no real idea about anything. That's something I'm learning more and more. And, um, what else am I learning more and more? I don't know. I guess just that like that I've been doing a kind of cool exercise, um, where I write on one side of the page, what the universe can control. And on the other side of the page, what I can control. I do this every morning after I meditate, uh, God, that sounded so holier than thou. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. It's I've been directed to do this. It wasn't my idea. Um, and I committed to doing it for 30 days. And I do think it does really help because I'll go into a situation kind of getting... All it does, more than anything, rather than making me aware of how little I control, because life teaches me that every second, what it teaches me, what it shows me on a daily basis is how... Um, what my anxieties are about a certain situation, how um, pleasing, say, a new boss or uh, a writing partner matters to me, and and to really look at it very clearly so that I at least go in knowing what I'm thinking, you know? I'm certainly never going to know exactly what the other person is thinking, but much of my life I've gone in not even knowing what my what I'm thinking about something, and it really helps a lot. Um And, you know, and and we get into this in the podcast, but the importance of gratitude, the importance of if I'm going to find fault with anything anyone else is doing, first of all, it is not my place to dictate how anybody else should behave. And, and, oh my God, I just totally lost my train of thought, which is great because we actually get into that too. Uh, Do, do, uh, does medication make you forgetful? Do you guys know? Do you, if you try this writing down the universe versus you thing, will you tell me if, it is fun or something. I don't know. Um, I think I'm done with the ramble fest and, um, thank you for listening to after party podcast. Uh, give us a review, a nice one. Uh, check out after party chat. I can't believe I forgot what it was called. Um, where we are posting all the time now, uh, you know, our thoughts, feelings, and, um, emotions. That's a little redundant about, uh, Addiction and Recovery, and please enjoy Sarah Benincasa. She is a sheer delight. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash.
1: Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Hardy animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you
0: have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Is a
1: gem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to speak in quotes. You do. Um, so, yeah. Well, I was talking to someone recently about friendship. Yeah. And I think it was my friend, Will Weldon, who's a comedian. Um, and he and I both do a TV show sometimes on Pivot, Pivot Take TV. Part Live. Yeah, Take Part Live. And um, we were talking, and I was saying to him, I've learned that I have to manage my expectations with friends. Right. Because sometimes what I consider to be good friendship is not what someone else considers to be good friendship. And I've also been in the position where I was not doing enough for mm-hmm. someone else. Like I was doing enough for me. Right. So a lot of relationships in general, I think, whether it's at work or with a friend or whatever, is finding someone for whom their enough is the same as you're enough and then being each other's enough.
0: It's so true. I, I, I go through that all the time, and my therapist has this story that she shares about like these two these two people who got in a fight, and and the reason they got in the fight is this one woman expected the other woman to go uh, get in her car and warm it up, and it's a ludicrous example, and I don't I don't remember the rest of the story, but the point is like one person's expectation is of course you would go and warm up the car while we're getting ready, whereas another person's like. What? Why would I do that? And yeah, like, I'm, that's weird. And I'm always guilty of the warming up the car assumption. I assume people know that that's what good friends do. And it's gotten me, you know, into trouble. And, you know, I do feel like maturity is about getting that, like, what, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And my
1: expectations have to be leveled. Mm-hmm. And that really is a big part of it. And um, figuring, I have a friend who is a comedian who's very busy, who doesn't really respond to text messages very much. And I thought it was me, and I was like, oh, I, I must be texting too much, which I'm very communicative, so of course it could be that. Right. Um, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm trying too hard. I'm putting in too much effort. And then I happened to talk to another friend about it who was like, no, that's just how this person is. They don't listen. They don't respond to text. They don't like to communicate through text or email, but so they just sort of check in a few times a week and will respond. Right. And that was so interesting to me. But there's also something... It's not the way I operate, but there's also something genuine about that, that this person really values, I think, face-to-face communication.
0: And that's cool. And isn't doing like the the sort of people-pleasing, rote response, yeah. because it's, quote-unquote, appropriate to respond to every text. Yeah, you know? this is a
1: pretty genuine person, which is cool, who... Really needs that I think face-to-face thing right and it's not out of disrespect and I think he's managing it and trying to be better with it because he's apologized to me a couple times but I think he apologized to everybody because it's just not his way he should
0: send out a group text apology
1: yeah he should just have like an apology template just <laughs> constantly ready to be like okay
0: did you know there's that thing by the way somebody was showing me there's like this automatic thing you can do where you send an automatic response you know about this in texting? no really I, it's just sort of. Kind of like the story I just told about the warming up the car that I only have like a quarter of the information accessible <laughs> in my brain so I did not tell it but like but yeah it's you can you can have these organized these set responses and you just hit it and it automatically goes out. Oh that's cool. For somebody it's like it's like I still drink like I, it feels like a very drunken memory but I know just that it's
1: just my brain is getting older and it's tired. I have a very poor memory for things like um, conversations and events and it gets, not, not events. That's not true. Um, if I need to remember, well, I can remember dates of major historical events and things like that. Interesting. But if somebody says, don't no, remember, we talked about this. Sometimes I'm like, no, no, we didn't. And sometimes I'm right, but sometimes they're right. So it makes arguments difficult, like with my boyfriend, because he'll be like, we discussed this and I said, blah, 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 blah. And, I, and I'm like, did? And I sound like a stoner, like, what, bro? And you, you did? just don't remember. I don't remember, and I think that part of it is a self-protective thing. My mom does the same thing. Um, you don't remember what you don't want to remember. Yeah. But for me, that has bled over into just not remembering a lot of stuff. <laughs> so sometimes I don't remember good stuff as well as bad stuff.
0: Well, okay, this is not, this is, this is a gotcha moment. We <laughs> totally had a conversation about your puppy I realize this is oh yeah not, see I mean all you're probably doing right now is talking about your puppy but we had this whole conversation and then you're like guess what I got a puppy
1: see that's me just like forgetting and but blanking. that's normal because I'm sure you're talking about it a lot I talk about it so much it's embarrassing yeah but and it's not to do that's the interesting thing that because I know this even though I know other people might not know this I know this from my perspective I know it's not because I didn't value the interaction with the person right some of the things simply don't imprint and it's not because they weren't important either right. it's very strange I think there's something wrong with my brain and sometimes I get nervous and I start to google like early signs of Alzheimer's and I'm like don't right. do it Sarah don't do it don't do it you're just gonna freak out
0: well okay interesting because I wonder if I take medication and you take medication yes. so don't you, since they
1: don't know the long-term effects of these things I sometimes do worry I remember being a kid and my mom started to take meds and noticing a distinct change in her memory. Like it dropped. Oh, like her ability to so retain funny. like some things did. So some of the stuff I talk about, I attribute to her just like not remembering... Um, because she didn't want to, Mm. you know, like, uh, but some of it, I think she just genuinely doesn't remember, especially now with like menopause and stuff. I think that is just a natural thing that happens. And, but for me, I don't have the menopause excuse. So I'm like, well, I think the drugs probably have something to do with it. I honestly believe that in 10 years, a study is going to come out that really says this is really and you and i are going to look back at certain relationships that we had and be like right. oh i should call that person who i haven't talked to in 10 years and be like this is why this is why right but i mean i don't know about you but i am like
0: whatever even if i find out not if i find out like we'll grow like an arm out of our head at the age of 75 there's very little that i could find out that would make me go oh well um i regret having done this
1: oh yeah i talked to a shrink who was talking to me about the potential for um certain birth defects if you yeah. are taking a high dose of this particular drug in the first three months of the first trimester and you know I'm not trying to get pregnant or anything but maybe I want to someday I don't know right. and honestly my reaction was like all right just another reason to pursue adoption yeah I had the same <laughs> cool, response
0: man. yeah yeah yeah, I know. It's so funny. It's like, I used to have that about, um, smoking cigarettes. I remember reading this study when I graduated from college and it said, smoking cigarettes and taking the pill is like putting a loaded gun to your head. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, I have to go off the pill. Like yeah, it didn't yeah, yeah. even
1: occur to me to go the other way. Just like Mm-mm. And it's, it's because it's when the, when whatever benefit you gain from some substance, um, outweighs like the the risk. the risk you're just gonna go for it right and, Which is the and with us probably. taking meds yeah. that's a good thing though i know i know usually it's not a good thing usually it's not but in this case it is a very good thing i i think i mean you know if you want to if, if it's really important to you to have a Biological baby of your own, right? Then I can understand that medication would not be worth it. But for me, um, I used to be like, I just don't need it to be my own child because I'm really enlightened. But really, it's not. It's not that. It's right. just um, some of it is also that I'm not sure I actually want to like carry a child. There's that. <laughs> some of it's really like, do I want to do that? Ugh. I want to be. If I'm a mom someday, I want to be a good mom. But you know the kid doesn't have to have my genetic material. Right. But you got to be financially stable for that. And so that... You got to be financially stable for both. True, true, true. Absolutely for both. Um, And so I I think I'll probably... If I become a mom, um, it's not going to be anytime soon. Right. (laughs) Unless I get a windfall of cash and suddenly I'm feeling really fertile.
0: But don't... You love how people are like, oh my God, you have all
1: these books. You are so successful. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... Yeah, but I also, you know, borrowed money from my parents like a few months ago. <laughs> but you are doing so
0: well. I mean, you are actually like resentment worthy. Oh, and okay. You're so, well, that's good. Yeah, right? That's exciting. But you're so lovely that you're impossible to resent. Okay, I do. I'm not laying this on. This is my honest to God, it, like feelings about you having just, you know, started to get to know you in the last year. I did that show for two years. So I interacted with many women. You were so universally lovely in every interaction it taught me actually a lot it's funny because we were talking oh, about emails when you, you. walked in and it literally ta- I was like this is how i want people to feel about interacting with me the way i feel interacting with sarah That's so great thank it's you it's so true like cuz people were nice a lot i mean obviously this was like a chummy show i liked all the women but, so fun but there was just this way you had of always a always responding quickly Always responding with genuine gratitude and just no ego. And it was so lovely. And so I just came to start Thank loving you. dealing with you. And
1: gratitude is very important to me. Very clearly. 'Cause it's it very important. It's like the only religion that I ascribe to that, that I can really get down with. Like Tell I don't me know if I believe that. in God. I really don't. Sometimes right. I I'm like, I'm sensible. I don't believe in God. And then other times I think I want to believe in God. I love and I have an altar in the corner of my house, but then I'm also like, I don't believe in God. You know, it's very complicated. But gratitude is very important to me because I think that um people uh as, as soon as you forget to be grateful then i don't you start being less fun to be around that doesn't mean that you have to bow and scrape like it right. doesn't mean that you have to be like oh my god i am so glad that you why would you ever think that I would be worthy of of you know contributing to this anthology. It's like no, I can be confident in the fact that I'm a good writer and I'm funny, but also be grateful that you gave me this opportunity to participate in this cool thing. Like that's it, it took me a while to get there because for a long time I was just so thankful for any kind of attention or anything. I was like I'm so grateful, but then as I've gotten older I've realized no, no, I have something to offer and right. this is a good thing. But um it's also really I just, I just am very appreciative. And I think part of that also comes from having had a nervous breakdown when I was 21 and having really have been, been suicidal a few times in my life Right, and, um, being really, I've learned to be very grateful for the times that I feel good. And it's not that I'm constantly dreading the bad times like I used to. Right. I just accepted that sometimes I'm probably going to feel like shit because life is life and that's life. Um, right. But right. I'm so grateful when there's good things that I get very, I get very happy about that.
0: That's, I think that's rare. I think, well, let's talk about the mental illness. So you, and the nervous breakdown. Sure. So you, there you were growing up. hmm Happy ish Italian
1: family. Yes,
0: happy ish Italian
1: family. Um brother, sister. My brother Steve. Brother Steve older? Younger. He's three years younger. Interesting. And he, he was this like good time guy when we were growing up. Like, you know, he was always just like smoking pot and like doing it. With, chicks and being right. cool and being popular and he was so fun and everybody liked steve and i was the one who was like i'm weird and have emotional issues and he was just like <laughs> whatever mom i'm going to the party and i was like oh steve you're really rebellious and so i like resented him but at the same time i admired him right and he was never really – I'm just, like, so proud of him because he was never – there was nothing that everybody was – a guy always wanted to write. That was always my thing. Right. A lot of kids have a thing. He never had a one thing that everybody was like, Steve likes that. Um, he just was like, whatever, bro. And he, when, he went to school for business, mm-hmm. and then he told my parents, um, basically, I'm moving back in so that I can afford to go back to school – and I'm going back to school, and I'm going to become a nurse, and I'm going to work with um, people with developmental disabilities. No, first it was the nurse thing. He was like, I'm going to be a nurse. And we were like, what are you talking about? And he was Hi. like, well, I've been listening to a lot of health podcasts um, at my job that is dumb, that I don't like, that does not like in, bring me joy in any way. And um, then I started taking books out of the library about about health and biology and stuff, and um, started looking at like med textbooks, and I'm gonna be a nurse, and we were like, "What the fuck?" Like, like cool dude McCool dude wants to what? (laughs) And then he was like, "I decided I'm gonna specialize in working with people with developmental disabilities." And we were even more like, "What?" So he manages a home now for I think he has four girls, who women, eighteen to in their forties, I think. Who um, have developmental disabilities. What kind? One is, uh, I believe, has autism. Mm -hmm. Another has Down syndrome. Another is, uh, I believe, mm, hmm, I'm not sure about the other two, but um, I know that they they have a variety of diagnoses. So he, and, and then they've got multiple things that go along with those diagnoses too so um so he is the the It's a medical house Mm -hmm. because there are these like the um, the group home sort of model is so different from the institutionalization model, which is a good thing. And some of the group homes in New Jersey are medical homes because the people need medical care rather than just like behavioral supervision. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he well, that's the home that he runs, and it's neat. And he takes them on adventures, and they go you know they go shopping, and they go to the laundromat, and they go visit the doctor, and they're coming to. I'm doing a book reading. in New Jersey on uh, April 17th at Clinton Bookshop in Clinton, New Jersey um, for my new book, Great. And uh, my brother was like, yo, can I bring them? Because he's so funny because he's he's also very much like, yo, girl, how you doing sometimes? Like, I'm making <laughs> him sound like an idiot, but he's not. He's so smart. He, knows, he sounds amazing. He sounds, he's like ama- an amazing dude. He's like super good looking. And like, girls are just like, ah. Like, growing up, all my girlfriends were like, he's three years younger, and my girlfriends would like give him the eye. And I was like, ugh. So gross.
0: You're like that's my brother. I was like, that's my brother.
1: You're disgusting. Um,
0: but but so okay. But so you were. You had a lot of emotions. I had all
1: the feelings at once, and so and yeah. I I was a very kind of type A. I have to be perfect. Oldest child, and um, then would beat myself up for falling short of, of perfection, and uh, started having panic attacks when I was about ten, and it was diagnosed when I was sixteen.
0: Oh, that's a long six years. Yeah,
1: and they 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 increased in frequency over the years. So it was at first when I was ten, I would think um, I thought of it as travel sickness because whenever I would travel, mm-hmm. I would have a panic attack, mm-hmm. and so I just thought I was getting super sick and and um, that I needed like Dramamine or that I needed like a Tylenol or that. How I needed did a drink it? How did, did you
0: feel it? What would happen?
1: Just it was like the fight or flight response. So uh-huh. um, a lot of. Quick heartbeat, um, nausea, sweating, a sudden feeling of like f- of fear coming from seemingly out of nowhere. Right. So I started to associate it with being away from home. And right. that is what grew into agoraphobia over the years. Right. Right. Um, and that really didn't reach, the agoraphobia really reached its full bloom <laughs> when I was 21 and I was at Emerson College in right. Boston. And that's really when it got in in two thousand one when it got so bad that I wasn't leaving my bedroom even in my my little apartment, my little studio.
0: Well, I your book Agora Fabulous that if nobody if you haven't read it, people read alongside. Go buy it on Amazon Kindle. Get right? on the
1: bus. Yeah, yeah, it's on yeah. Kindle
0: and you can listen to it while you listen that's not a good plan you can oh, listen to you know to what it i don't
1: dinner. i don't actually have we don't have a oh that's not what i audiobook. mean audiobook
0: i mean read it i know i you wish i should. did would not that be cool yes i yeah i um, have I've you never, ever done one no i did it for my kindle single because Ooh, cool. and you know what i learned that dream of an audiobook will kill the throat it just doing really? a kindle single 30 page book which it's hard work, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, but that should that should be an audiobook yours. I would love that
1: would be so cool to do an audiobook, I would yeah. love that
0: so but but that um you know, for people who haven't read that so so basically you so so it started with, okay, I'm getting a panic attack when I go away from school, and mm-hmm. then
1: it's, then it moved into when I go to class, sure, it was it started with specific things like. Um, I get panic attacks when I when I go on this form of transportation. Um, so I, I and and when I was um, sixteen, I started taking medication, but it wasn't the right medication for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that I was misdiagnosed; it was just that you know Paxil didn't work very well yeah. for me. And I took that one, too. I didn't recognize because I was a kid. Um, or really, if anybody who's not like a super educated health consumer might not know that there are other options out there. So in my head, as a teenager, I was just like, okay, this is these are the pills that you take when you have this thing. And if I... Don't respond well to them that means I'm crazy right. so I can't tell anybody I'm still having these panic attacks right. uh, I just have to like take this pill and eventually it'll start to work and if it doesn't it's just like I was very afraid of being of, of you know those being institutionalized against my will and mm. being kept away from my family and my friends and all those sort of girl interrupted movie kind of tropes right
0: right and that probably came out right around then
1: it, I remember it coming out, and, and also I came from a family in which um, a lot of people had experienced mental illness, and, and a few had been institutionalized against their will right. in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, I had my family, too. So you grow up with that sort of specter, even if it's not real anymore.
0: And there was a lot less known about medication and in and anti-anxiety medication, sure. and antidepressants, and SSRIs. that just didn't exist.
1: Some of the options didn't exist.
0: Yeah,
1: and, you know, some of those drugs that they gave housewives for for um, panic in were the super 50s fun drugs. Were super fun, super exciting. But the yeah. reason we can't have them anymore is they're not good for us. We don't have nice things like that anymore right. because they're really bad for us. And they would just dope you up and knock you out, yeah. which is fun, but. You know, not conducive not to con- a happy life. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but but the reason I never drank until I was, um, I think, until I was twenty three was because, uh, was because of meds. And I still don't drink very much at all because it's just not really not a good choice with medication.
0: Well, they tell you when they give them to you not to drink. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously, I totally ignored that. And um, I always said Paxil didn't work, but I never really gave it a chance, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that the way I would do it is I would drink, and if I
1: didn't get sick, I'm like, I guess that warning was unnecessary, you know? <laughs> yeah, just like, woo, black box warning from the FDA, no problem. Whatever. Um, so, okay, and so
0: then... You were in your, you were in um, like a dorm. I can't, I can't
1: actually remember. It was remember. a studio apartment mm-hmm. in Boston on Newbury Street, which mm-hmm. is the Rodeo Drive of Boston, Massachusetts. Which you could not enjoy that <laughs> well, time in could your life. not. And so it was this shitty, really shitty, um, uh, expensive studio apartment And it had, like, a little airplane bathroom, basically, with a shower and no bathtub. And not that that's, like, such suffering or something, but it was very small. Like, it was hard to close the door when you were sitting on the toilet because your knees were right there. And it didn't have... It had a a mini fridge and a hot plate, but it didn't have, like, a a kitchen. And um, it had a bed that came with the place, which is disgusting. Um, It was, like, a... It was a single bed that came with the place. Right. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is normal. Like, this is the way things go. Well, 18, yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay. And um, so it was sort of a depressing place to be anyway and uh, I just got worse and worse um, particularly like it sounds cliche but after September 11th there was this sort of initial moment of weird relief which sounds really fucked up but it was like suddenly the outside world everybody was as scared as I was on the Mm. inside so I felt super normal for a little while especially when like you know they canceled classes and people weren't going to work for a few days and it was this whole thing and I remember being like feeling this weird sense of like oh, okay, so I was, it was like this confirmation. Like you were right to be I was worried. right to be scared all the time. Okay, and now everybody else gets it too. And then, of course, as life returns slowly to something resembling normalcy, even as it's in the news every day and people are mourning and it's really sad, um, I was like, oh, wait, no, It. it is, nope, there's something wrong with me probably, but I didn't want right. to deal with it. So I just, like, kind of stopped eating, stopped really taking care of myself at all, um, and eventually was was pretty confined to my bedroom. Um, you,
0: so you stopped going to class. Stopped going to class. And your
1: friends and teachers said... They started checking in and being like, where are you? What's going on? And I made up lots of excuses, lots of very creative excuses for why I couldn't be there. And at first I like did the work and emailed it in or whatever. But you know, then I sort of dropped that. And then really, the the bad period, I would say, started probably in August of 2001 and mm-hmm. really came to a head in... November, December, and mm-hmm. then I went home in December. My mom came and picked me up um, uh, early. From, and then I tried again in January to go back. New apartment. We thought I think we thought like let's. My parents were kind of like let's throw money at this. That'll that'll make it better. Right. And and I and I thought that too because right. I thought oh well if if I am in really luxurious surroundings that my family can't really afford. Obviously, I will be happy, right? Right. Of so, and it's be- and it's so much easier to blame your emotional difficulties, your mental difficulties, on the surroundings than to look inside yourself and get some help.
0: Well, every geographic is based on that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So you get into this nicer place,
1: really fancy place at this place called um, Tremont on the Green, I, which was very fancy. Yeah. fancy, and it had a doorman, and it had you know, and and it had. Um, it had staff and there was a pool and I mean, this was fancy-pantsy. Right. And um, it was right on the, um, not the public garden, the Boston Common, but right Right, on Boston Common. Super convenient to school. Like elevator was just very elegant. It was a one bed with a walk-in closet. Right. So I was like, oh, this is amazing, which was great for about a week. And then all the stuff was still Hmm. there, you know, And, and I was being, doing weird stuff and, um, you know finally my friends, i didn't remember this actually um i didn't remember this part but my friends told me about it within the past couple of years when the book came out i remember my friend being like man i remember when you called me up that day and told me you were thinking about hurting yourself and i was like i did that really and my friend catherine was like yeah and then i called um i called alexandra who's my other best friend I called alex and um we decided i should call your parents so then i called your parents and then your parents called you and came and got you which was a repeat of what they had done just a month or two earlier like I had spoken to my friend Alexandra she called my friend Catherine they were like this girl cray what are we gonna do so right. Catherine knew my parents a little better so she called my parents up and then my parents called me just like hey what's up kind of out of the blue like how you do and I was like I'm fine and they were like really and I was like no <laughs> after a, that's like a, a shortened version of a 30-minute right. conversation right by which point I finally admitted I felt sick and oh. maybe needed to go home to rest for a weekend and um so, but I forgot that it happened again. I forgot so that it happened again. Do you, do you now remember those as two separate incidents? I remember my parents... The first time I went home in December of 2001, um, my parents did not tell me that, that my friends had called them up because they didn't want to disrupt my feelings of having a support system. They didn't want me to feel betrayed or embarrassed. Right. They didn't tell me for a couple of years, and I'm really glad they yeah. did. It was like nice of them not to. Um The second time, I must have known, because it wasn't, because the way Catherine said it to me was like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember I called your mom, and she came up, and I helped you leave, and and I don't, it's just not there. Right. Like, there's flashes of that apartment, I can picture certain things in it, Um, but there, it's just not there, like, remembering her bringing my mom into the room, or whatever specific happened, like, I I don't remember it. Right. Genuinely don't remember it. It's very, I can invent it in my head what it was probably like. Right. Right. But I really don't remember it. And, and so when she, when the book came out in 2012, Agora Fabulous, she was like bringing it up to me. And I was like, wow, I don't remember that interaction you know i remember having a panic attack when we went to see the mandy moore film a walk to remember i remember that film <laughs> i had a panic attack and left i was like this is bullshit You're like there's nothing <laughs> panic inducing about mandy moore <laughs> she's so soothing <laughs> um yeah so there are gaps in my memory yeah. for sure and and then What is the right drug? What is the drug that you're on that works? So I take Prozac. Mm -hmm. um, I take 60 milligrams a day right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. and I take Abilify. Mm -hmm. um, I take a so Prozac, as I'm sure you know, is an SSRI, Mm -hmm. but not everybody knows that. Thankfully, because not everybody needs to know that. Yeah. Um, And then Abilify is what's called an atypical antipsychotic. So it's like a second generation antipsychotic, and it's Mm -hmm. used generally at, at at higher doses. It's used for people with bipolar. Um, I'm not sure about the difference between bipolar 1 and 2 and all that stuff. I know about it. Ooh. I just found out. Oh, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I'm, well, no, that's not true. I do know about it because I've had friends who've gone through the depressions and then the manics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know as far as like treating it with meds. You know, I'm not really sure how it works. I just know that my psychiatrist told me that at higher doses – Abilify is used for bipolar and Mm -hmm. then for like higher doses than that for schizophrenia. Oh, interesting. But at a low dose, I guess what they found at this certain low dose was that it wasn't really helping... People who were bipolar or schizophrenic, but it was it was serving as like a I call it like a wheatgrass booster, (laughs) right? To an SSRI.
0: Yeah, that's what I've always heard of. So so bipolar two is not the this. I mean, I'm no doctor. This came from a doctor, though. So, but but from what I understand, bipolar one is the bipolar we hear about, you know, the highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah, and bipolar two is more like a very high level of irritation. Oh, not all this manic. You know, just more depression and, um, you know, irritation. Oh, wow. Which... That's so interesting. I, I find fascinating. fascinating. Um, but yeah, no, I had a, a, heard of Abilify as like the weak rat. Like basically if your antidepressant stops working, mm-hmm. throw some Abilify at which it.
1: Which they call the Prozac poop out for Prozac. That's That's right. like actually what Is it's that called. Is
0: that why mm-hmm. Abilify came into your life?
1: Abilify came into my life in 2011. I um, got... I had been dating someone who got deployed to Afghanistan. I know about this. Right. I told you about this. I I know I I told you about that. You did meet him. He came to the reading with his (laughs) girlfriend who lives near me and my boyfriend now, which is really funny. So he and his girlfriend came, his friend of mine, um, came to the reading. Right. Um, at the last bookstore, which was really cool.
0: God, that picture of you from there is so amazing. It makes me want to go back there. It was so fun. I was too busy stressing to go know, and have all that fun you, you were had. Having. You
1: had to organize everything, and that's like why producing a show is the worst. People thing don't on get earth. why yeah. it sucks. Yeah, you know, it can be fun when you have a great show. You're like, this is the best, but it sucks when it sucks. Well, it's
0: like it's sort of like writing sometimes. I'm I'm glad to have done it. Yep. Don't know if I'm glad. I was
1: glad I was doing it. I read some quote the other day, as an aside, where someone had said. Um, you know, nothing, like, publishing has its its pleasures, but there's nothing like re- being in the midst of writing. And I was like, <laughs> and I like, retweeted it and wrote, lie. It wasn't the the woman who said it hadn't tweeted it. Someone else had tweeted it, like, advice to writers yeah. had tweeted it. And I was like, lie. Because I was like, no, having published is awesome. But the actual writing is like, ah. Um, I understood what she meant. But anyway, so um, yeah. So I was dating this guy, Benari, yeah. and he got deployed um to Afghanistan, and yeah. Uh, at that point I had, I was dealing with not just like him being gone, but the fact that I hadn't dealt with the fallout from my previous relationship, which was who I'm with now, who I live with now. Who was a previous podcast guest? A previous podcast guest, Mr. John DeVore. And so because I had not dealt with a breakup and then I had another one basically, um, it just opened up this. It was like I had been using love to medicate this mm-hmm. issue, yeah. And so, and I didn't take a break. I wasn't like, oh, hey, this one very important relationship to me is breaking up. Um, let me deal with this. I was like, nope. I'm just gonna start up with somebody else, right? Redway.
0: Right Look, plenty of people seem to do it sure. all the
1: time. absolutely. Look at a,
0: any celebrity.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because so, being alone is scary and sad and those feelings hurt. And right. you, you want to not have those feelings anymore. And right. so what better way than just to segue into being with somebody else? Right, right. And, of course, that ultimately does a disservice to yourself, the other person, the every, previous, everybody, person, the previous yeah. person, everybody, you know, cheapens what you had, and all this other stuff, you know, and... But it's like an anesthesia that you're just applying. Now, I don't want to demean my relationship with him, Benari, who's great. He's on Twitter at Benari Lee, um, to <laughs> say that that's all it was. Right. But um, I think one of the reasons we can be friends today and the, that I can talk about this without going into, like, super detail is just that I think we sort of... Uh, I, I think we've figured out kind of what that was and how that fit. And Right. You know, I mean, he's... an awesome person and I'm so happy that he's with like the fucking coolest girl did you set
0: him up with her no no no
1: no. they um they got together and they had known each other previously and they got together and I remember having this feeling they were gonna get together and just being like that's good like that's supposed to happen so i think i was a speed bump on the way in some way maybe that's just me trying to make it sound good in my narrative but like they're very they're cool people she writes like video games and stuff
0: oh wow yeah they just
1: got a min pin like miniature pincher oh wow she's just a cool girl like surfs yeah she's always always trying to get me to surf and i'm like see i wanted to be the surfer girl and
0: now in retrospect i wish that i was the nerd girl all like just that these girls, they can play video games in this that's office. That's cool. Well, she's apps. both. Yeah, I She's know. the
1: video. She designs the video games. And then um, she's on Twitter, at Stacey Garrett. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-G-A-R-R-A-T-T. Yeah, I really like the E. Yeah. I think that's really neat. So, yeah. she's, so she's just freaking <laughs> cool and very funny. And, you know, um, so they're just such a neat, interesting... You got this, like, veteran of three, you know, fronts in three... You know, he's been to guantanamo afghanistan and iraq you got him and he plus he's a comedian plus he's a um an adjunct professor um of screenwriting at uh Cal State Fullerton, I think. Then you got this chick who's like, she writes video games. She's got a Together min Together they can take
0: over the world. Seriously,
1: they have so many skills between them. It's so weird. They need to procreate and create an army. <laughs> they're going to create the most like, it's basically going to be their own like Israeli army. If it's going to take over everything. Oh my god! I'm so glad I know about them before
0: this Yeah, happens. They're
1: very cool. Just get on their side yeah. before like. Any of that, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen, but I hope it does because those children will take over the world. So they're, so they're very neat, but, um, and obviously they're cool cause they fucking came to see yeah. me read a story. Yeah. <laughs> Just really nice. About, about an affair with a different guy. A, affair with a different guy. And, um, so, so 2011, so he leaves, I'm like, oh, now I, I have to deal with that. A lot of, you know, sadness, worry, concern. And you're
0: in New York city, which is a difficult place it's to live. It's a panicky place. Yeah. It's a difficult
1: place to live. I'm, you know, missing this person who I loved very deeply, Mr. John DeVore, uh, who I continue to love very deeply, um, and suddenly dealing with that, like, uh, oh, wow, okay, you know, like he, I, to, you know, I don't want to, like, I, he told his own story, you should listen to his episode of the podcast. I
0: know, I wish the sound equipment was better on that one, because he's such a delight. He's great. And the sound quality was not great.
1: But you know, I on. haven't even, have I listened to part of it? He's so funny and so
0: good on it. Did
1: he talk about, like, did you guys talk about, like, sobriety and stuff like that? Yeah, pretty much the whole time. Okay, so, you know, he, like, did the work. Yeah. I didn't do the work. And so, there I was. You know, it's 2011. Oh, and and we we talked
0: about you because you were the one that said to him, I said I think you have a a problem. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he he was really, it was interesting because he said no one had said that to him before. Which
0: is crazy because I knew him in New York and we all knew he was a drunk.
1: right so it's interesting and it's such a charming and charming yeah just so charming all the my the people who have any issues that I know with addiction yourself included are so charming like it just comes with it it's just like there's something very sexy and charming about those people
0: there are plenty who are not by the way I'm sure there are (laughs) but no I I would say that that's absolutely true some of the most charming people I know
1: smartest most interesting creative people I know and it's not and and this remains true when they get sober i this surprising. too it doesn't go well away. it
0: becomes more true in it becomes many people's stronger cases, yeah.
1: well what i've seen is that you know i look at, at john and i see how his career has taken off in ways that i think are very in from my perspective and i'm super biased but because i live with him yeah but, um i have seen how his his career has taken off over the past few years and how things have changed and just, you know, I don't know if he would agree or disagree with me on this, but he, he writes so beautifully and reflecting on those times. Yeah, I, I
0: definitely agree. It's
1: just great. And he just, you know, he moved out here to California. He's doing all cool stuff. And, um, anyway, he was, it was a, it was a big loss to not have that relationship anymore. And mm-hmm. so... I, so th- that being said you know I, I i lost it um in yeah in new york in queens where i lived and just crying 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 all the time uncontrollably what do i do about this and i sat down with my my boss at a site called bookish he's not there anymore i'm not there anymore mm-hmm. i don't even know i think they just sold it it's a great me. name i've never heard bookish. of it it's really yeah. cute cute name it was this publishing site and i would it was i would go in and, and just freelance writing about different books and stuff and it was like supposed it was one of those sites that you know you just wait for it to launch for like a year or two years and then it finally does yeah so charlie who's a great writer was an editor was was my editor at the time and i went in and sat down with him in the conference room and and i i just said i started crying i was like um i think i need to take time off or or work from home like i something's not right i'm not okay and Mm -hmm. he was like i we did at this point did not have such a close relationship that that was necessarily a normal thing for me to do right but he opened up right away and talked to me about people he'd known and stuff he'd been through and was just like Sarah take time off like there was it was amazing there was no pressure he was like take time off you're freelance for a reason you get to make your own hours you get to decide how much work you want to do mm-hmm. I would rather have you he said something to, me to the effect of I would rather have you healthy and turning in a piece every few months than be churning stuff out every day and be miserable. So I went home for two months. I gave up my apartment, went home for a couple months, and it almost felt like a repeat. It was 10 Mm. years later, almost to the month. You know, It was 10 years later, and there I was. And and I talked to John a lot during that time, um, and he was very concerned about me, um, but never really let me know that he was super worried until after I was better. Like, he really had it together to be, to provide a lot of emotional support. I mean, to his fucking ex-girlfriend calling him up crying about how she misses so-and-so who's off in fucking Afghanistan. Like, right. what, what a, a you guy. You know, I mean, what a good dude. And, um, and also just, I was just so depressed. and he, But he really was there for me, like, 110%. Um,
0: well, and so it was a repeat of a decade earlier, but it mm-hmm. was depression instead of panic.
1: It was depression. It was pretty really heavy. um, Heavy depression, and yeah. that is when I went on Abilify. And did when the happen? I went from like 40 milligrams of Prozac to 60 mm-hmm. and threw in some Abilify, mm-hmm. and it was like banging. She
0: was back. I was like, I'm
1: back. And then I moved back to Queens and you know, um, uh, resumed working at Bookish and writing. Um, that's when my book was due. I was so my, my agent. Scott Mendel, who's a, a great dude, was very helpful during that time because my book was due and I was, I was bottoming out depressed. And that right. was part of it too. Well, you know, this writing about like sad stuff that yeah. you've done or that's yeah. happened to you, that I mean, it's it definitely, bring,
0: you are in it. Mm-hmm. I went through that with my memoir where it was a depression that lasts for, because you're, it's like if, if they know that in terms of like, you know, ways to combat depression, don't focus on it, mm-hmm. think of other people. All of those things you cannot do
1: if you're writing a memoir about it. It was like I relived it in miniature. Yeah. Um, and my, my editor, at William Marr her name is Cassie Jones. She's fucking awesome. Um, she was really great, too. I they think her husband was my editor. Cal?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for years. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so she was really um, great. And, and you know, it, one good thing about it was that, and one good thing that I think is probably true for you, too. I'm making an assumption here. but. Go ahead is that because our a lot of our shit is out there not yeah. all of it but yeah. a lot of it's out there editors and people like that kind of know what they're going to get so they're it's not like what i'm saying oh, is they still expect us to make deadlines and do our work right but if we are depressed or if we are like i have to go to a meeting or if we are like whatever they're not going to be like what? What are you talking about? Yeah, what? yeah. What? This is crazy. It depends on the
0: person. You're I right. Think. That's you know. true.
1: It also because I can see somebody who's because you work in so many capacities and write about so much stuff that I could see somebody, people are like, which issue am I? Which part? Of yeah, part am and I that if you're with? you know writing about is that um, something new? Sugar daddies? Shopping for sugar daddies? Yes, that's so fun. Yeah,
0: I wrote about that for Marie Claire UK. So fun. Yeah, that's that became an accidental beat of mine somebody you know asked me to do something for a men's site and then I did it and then this Marie Claire thing came up and now there is talk there is talk very not even quotation around talk talk very low-level talk about making it into a reality show we'll see that's
1: really cool yeah
0: it was like this crazy thing but the truth is I don't want to be writing about sex dating relationships it's not interesting to it's interesting I became an accidental person who did that. Yes. And then when I realized that I could do that, I was like, well, wait a minute. Could I change the conversation and focus so that I can talk about something that I think needs attention, like addiction and mm-hmm. recovery? Um, but I can't. It's like that, you know, hole I can't climb out of because, you know, I still don't turn down work. That's oh, sure, we it, do. When you people know? are
1: like, come here and talk about sex and love, I'm like. Cool man, awesome. Like I'll ride this out until you've decided that I'm not okay to do it anymore.
0: Right. It's really hard to say no to jobs.
1: Well basically. yeah. I, and and it's it's getting easier to say no to things that do not pay. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Um, but then there are things not there are also some things that do not pay that are so amazing with exposure that you're just like, of course I'm going to fucking do this.
0: Well, I mean, it's interesting. Like I, TV
1: appearances and see, shit like that. See, the
0: TV stuff I get, my thing is if it's not about addiction, I'm not going to do it. But then I say that and then I went on the talk and talked about, you know, so so there are exceptions. But oh, sure. But it's really hard, you know, and it's really hard to – have boundaries around that because they will stop calling you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get their position as a booker. They just want someone who's going to say yes and show up and do a good job.
1: They're sitting at their desk. Yeah,
0: making a bunch of calls. Yeah,
1: just like churning out. It's not – that's that's another thing to, that's good to see – why it's good that you produced a show and why I have produced a show because we get to see the other side of it.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying about you is it gave me great perspective because – Why not be that person that someone will come away I talked to my therapist about you. Oh, that's so great. I feel yeah, so Yeah, that someone comes away and says, that person's a delight to deal with. I want to deal with her again.
1: Yeah. Because that's rare. And I have so much fun with you, and you give gave, have given me a platform to, I mean, who doesn't love talking about themselves? Yeah. Um, someone was saying, we were, I have a writer's group, and last night we were talking about how to be when you go into a meeting for staffing. And someone was like, um, just ask them questions. People love to be asked questions. So true. And I was like, it's true really true I know it's super true what's your little writer's group why am I
0: suddenly like wanting to know more
1: oh it's really fun it's a writer's group that um I'm
0: feeling left out a friend a friend
1: well most of the people who don't write books I think I'm the only person who writes like books and freelancing and stuff yeah they all write like tv TV and movies and stuff like that I want to be
0: even in even more and so
1: they're 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 neat people and so I just kind of ask a lot of questions but we meet every other Monday and we just kind of hang out for three hours and share different things. And so sometimes it's a little... Um, I bring in stuff that's a little different because I'm... Like, I, I recently was pitching a fourth book and I brought in some ideas to them. And mm-hmm. they're not... And it, it was good because they don't come from a publishing background. Right. So it was neat to be able to see what they thought. Um, Do
0: you get jealous, though, that the, how much more money they're making?
1: Not jealous, but like... um. I get wistful mm-hmm. you know i do get jealous sometimes of people but usually it has to do with like love or romance mm. you know mm-hmm. or like um like it's rare that i get jealous of somebody for like having a or uh, like a thinner body or having more money but i get wistful about that the jealousy That's is healthy. possessive yeah. But I but I, but I do get jealous when it comes to relationships. Like with men, I get very right. like, and I've worked on it for years. But right. that is like a, I can't blame that on any kind of mental illness. That is just like a character flaw that I'm working on.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons I started that show is my jealousy of other women's success was so great.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Because that doesn't, I don't read that on you at all.
0: It cured
1: me. That's
0: awesome. Because every month. Other women who had things I, you know, you had to be kind of impressive, so you had things I wanted, the, everyone's success kind of became my success, and it sort of melded this brain chemistry that saw that as a separate We're That's really same, cool. You know? That's
1: really cool. And so
0: it's like, now I see someone getting something as like, as it's almost like I got it. I mean, it's not quite that, but it's like any success should be celebrated, especially in book publishing, where... Where the uh, the pain is great and the triumphs are short.
1: Oh yeah, you know. I mean, it it also I I I like that saying. Um, oh, what is it? A rising tide lifts all ships, or oh, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And I I didn't really buy into that for a long time, but then I started seeing, I started I started applying it in my own life, and I started seeing how once in a while somebody else would apply it to me too, and like a girl I met um, got me a job, just a sh- sh- job that I got paid a couple hundred bucks for that was just writing some funny jokes. And, um, I just met her casually and we just had a nice interaction and she thought of me cause she couldn't do the job. Right, And that kind of thing happens. I think more, the more you, you, you can't, it, it's, it, there's a balance cause you can't like wear yourself out trying to do stuff for other people all the time. But I think the more you sort of delicately try and put little opportunities out there for other people when you can the more that kind of starts to happen for you too
0: i totally agree with that i totally do
1: john talks about how this how new york is a favor-based economy and la is more like a mafia like it's who you know and who your buddies are but i think there's a bit of both in both cities honestly i
0: think that he and i on the podcast got into a fight about la versus new york which i will take anyone down on that i love la
1: I think it's great. It's so great. It's great. He's like, Wah. he's such a grumpy man. Right. But he, right. like, I love it. You know, the other, the other day he, he wrote this on Twitter. He said, um, we were eating. He put it on Twitter, so I feel like I'm allowed to say it. He, we were we were eating at, some, at a French restaurant in a strip mall in Burbank, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking and kind of like, he was like, started to bait me because he likes to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, like, amuses him. Um, and so he said... Something to the effect of, "I just never saw the appeal of the comforts of the bourgeoisie," and I started laughing so hard because it was such a John thing to say. It, like it was so ridiculous, and I knew he was saying it just to fuck with me. And I started laughing so hard. And like, then he put it on Twitter because it was like such a dumb thing to say. He was like, "I have to put this on yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so ridiculous." Um, And then, but then, when, but then sometimes he'll relent and he'll go, you know what? I do like that. He loves the last bookstore. I got him that gift certificate when I was there, when we were signing. And he has since been there twice. He hasn't even used the gift certificate yet. He just goes and he loves it. Like, LA has some cool shit. Yeah,
0: it does take New Yorkers, they've got this
1: idea, and it just takes, you know, to get them over the hump. Their identity is so wrapped up in that city that. It's it's almost like someone whose identity is really wrapped up in the word victim. So <laughs> <good>. <laughs> they're just like and you say to that person, like, sure, you are perhaps perhaps you are a victim. And I also look at you as a survivor. And they're like, what? Right. (laughs) it's like, yes, you are a New Yorker, but could you not also be (laughs) a a Detroiter? Yes and. (laughs) Or yes and, an Angelino, or perhaps a San Franciscan. And they're like, sure, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. And then then they start to like things like being able to afford an avocado.
0: (laughs) Right. Or being able to not be too cold or too hot at all times.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love New York, and New York's a great place to be if you – have a shitload of money. Yeah. Great place to be. I think
0: we're young and drunk.
1: Young and drunk. Yeah, I was that. Mm-hmm. I was that for sure. Um, and, but I mean, if you, for my girlfriends who are like, I don't know why I'm not meeting men. It's like, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're wonderful. New York City just just doesn't, the numbers just aren't there.
0: I mean, I would say New York is much better for that than LA. really, because yeah. I haven't dated
1: here, so I don't know. I don't know. My girlfriends do say that here, it's they say it's weird dating, but they they never tell me what is weird about it. Uh,
0: my thing was, you know, I've been primarily single as I work out my issues, but but I would in New York, I was always dating somebody, which is never really true here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was that I was so unhappy all the time that I was willing to date people that I would never be willing to date here. That would be part of it. It's really easy to be kind of very content here, no matter what's going on in your life. You know, it's sunny, it's not that expensive, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. That might
1: be it, though. And the, the the frenetic New York has this frenetic need to keep you busy all the time. And that works great for me because right. it is how I avoid um, dealing Feeling. with my feelings right. in life. So that's great. Um, But then sometimes it's good to have a feeling from it's beginning to it's completion and deal with it emotionally and stuff I'm
0: learning how to do that yeah I still am learning
1: oh just the other day John was like are you in you're not in regular therapy so don't you think that's a good idea for you and he not in a condescending way I made it sound that way but he was just basically like don't you think it's a good idea and I was like Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a really... I should be in regular therapy. Like, it's been a few months. How long has it been? Oh. been a few months. So you have someone out here. I have... Yes. I have someone out here who I like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's time to go back to her. Or maybe try someone new using my health insurance that I have now. I have the most amazing therapist who not take insurance. But she is spectacular. That's awesome. And she knows about you. (laughs) yeah. I'll be like, hello. (laughs) I'll just appear and be like, hello. Hello. I know I'm
0: perfect. There's this
1: woman in New York. Who was fabulous, and she had all these stand up comedians, mm-hmm. women stand up comedians mm-hmm. as clients, because we all referred each other to her. Mm-hmm. So she would know who we were talking about, but she was very good. We all would check in, and she was very good about not telling us each other's secrets.
0: Well, this one, I just, I was referred to her, and then my friend. Oh, I, I have a friend. Mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't say her name. Yeah, I was just thinking that I about know. my
1: friend. I was like, I won't say her name.
0: Because she was like, oh, therapy in Larchmont is it? And, I'm like, and so she randomly got to her. And she said, all the smart women in LA go to her. And then she told me, like, four other people. And so something I was like, oh, she's cool. It's like this
1: inside club. And you when you go to the, the waiting room, you're like, who will I see? I know. It's I so once funny. saw, I was, it can't. Yeah, I know. You can't, it
0: can't I tell. A, I once saw, I had a gory celebrity signing at my last. Two therapists, no, yeah, two therapists
1: ago. One time at my therapist, because I did go to a, I went to a social worker in high school after I got, like, diagnosed for for anxiety and depression and stuff, Um, I saw a girl who was a cheerleader, and it felt like a celebrity (gasps) sighting. not true. I saw her, and I was like, (gasps) I was like, you have problems too. (laughs)
0: Isn't that weird? I do remember there was in, in, in college, there was this awesome psychology professor who was also a therapist. And so I went to him. I'd been in therapy since I was 16. And I remember leaving and seeing this friend of mine, this guy, and he was
1: so embarrassed. Oh, especially for dudes because that's so... for And then for a boy at that age, in adolescence, post-adolescence, whatever, like that's for a guy to admit, you know? I mean, I know a lot of guys who are very cool and are very like, yeah, I just go and I work out my issues. But... Right a lot of dudes are like, fuck no.
0: I don't even understand. Yeah. When I moved back here from New York, I was like, I don't think i need that that therapy thing and then within six months i'm like oh no 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 this is a really really
1: really good idea yeah i'm like i need to go back to julie <laughs> i'm probably gonna text her email her today um and just be like hello can i come see it's not julie
0: m is it no
1: mm, it's <laughs> julie f <laughs> <I got excited.
0: laughs> but I i'm like, not
1: like in crisis doing? or anything I right know now. it's that's just a good like time to go that's a good time to go rather than Going when you're losing your shit completely, and then they have to help you dig out. Untangle. Of this hole. You're like
0: the tele. Remember the old telephone cords? Mm-hmm. You know, they absolutely. Tangle, and then you're just suddenly like exploding. You're like ah, so yeah. So, but it so therefore it works. Like you are a happy medication story, really, because you're not no. doing other therapy. But but are there things you learn in therapy that that you use to deal with the mental illness? Yes,
1: absolutely. And things I've learned from specifically reading. Um, Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn when I was younger. I don't know that. It's a great one. It it, um, has to do with he runs the... He's the, like, El Presidente and founder of the Center for Mindfulness Uh at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center... Medical School, excuse me, at Worcester. Mm -hmm. So it's a University of Massachusetts outfit. Um, I believe it's called the Center for Mindfulness. They do... MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is an eight-week program that incorporates um, meditation. It's meditation, yoga, um, and it's not, anti-medic- it's not anti-medication at all. It was founded by John Kabat-Zinn and Dr. Saki Santorelli, who's a cardiologist, and they have been in business for, uh, I think, 30 years now and it has they they do it for they run this 8 week course you meet once a week for 8 weeks and they have them out here they have them all over the place and um they do them for like firefighters and Wusta <laughs> and like you know people i mean all kinds of folks and 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 just people like me and so i um got into that when i was right when i had that breakdown i read that book and um, went to a psychiatrist regularly who had seen two other generations in my family. And so I started right. seeing it. So it was like, he was cheating cause he had the whole family right. history. Um, but that, yeah. Yeah. Did you go
0: to their eight week?
1: I did not. I went to, um, I went to a couple, when I went back to Boston, I tried to go back and I, I made it through like three weeks and then I dr- left, but that, that it was actually a good thing because going to that, those three weeks was so helpful and I got the binder and everything and I continued the work at home. So I continued doing it on my own for the next five weeks.
0: And it's for anxiety,
1: any kind of pain management, any kind of stress. So we had people, I mean, we had people in my group who were dealing with, um, who were recovering from cancer. Um, a woman who's stepped children had just died in a car crash someone with hiv aids other people with panic attacks bipolar depression i mean you know chronic fatigue fibromyalgia like all kinds of stuff right and um it's great it teaches you you probably a lot of the stuff would be familiar to you anyway because it's like just basic mindfulness techniques but um it's awesome.
0: Yeah, and to spend an hour every day—I mean, every week—sort mm-hmm. of concentrating on it,
1: and you do your homework. So every day you have uh, basically like a forty-five-minute assignment to do, which is a, a might be a meditation combined with stretching or like a visualization exercise, and it's awesome. And it's so, like, low pressure. They're just like, yeah, would be great if you could do this for 45 minutes, but if you can do it for five, that's cool too.
0: Right, realistic. Do, so would you say that your depression is, like, in remission, or do you still deal with
1: it? I still deal with it. Mm-hmm. I would say it's not. Um, it's. Do you get, at the end of a big project, do you get a letdown feeling?
0: Depends. It depends. Like, with the storytelling show, I was just relieved. Like, thank God.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
0: but oftentimes with books – it's not the turning in so much as the like the thing you're starting right now, the release. You know, I have a friend, Richard mm-hmm. Rushfield, who always says, oh, "I feel so sorry for people when their books come out." Like everybody else is going, "Congratulations! It's so exciting!" But it's so, it, for me, it brings out every insecurity, every feeling of unworthiness, every
1: feeling of it's not fair. I Google my name every day to read reviews, like See, but every I day. Feel like your sensibility
0: <laughs> is so positive, and even like when you sent send out a thing about it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that would take you down the way it takes some of us down.
1: It once in a while does. It's not. It, I think stand up comedy has been really helpful because right. having that stand up background with people sometimes just texting while you're telling this joke about your life or or you know I don't think I've ever had booze but I've certainly had people who are just like or we got walking the room when like somebody right. walks out. Um, that was really helpful doing a bunch of like I did a bunch of YouTube videos where I was Sarah Palin in two thousand and eight for Hoffington Post and um you know getting called like a, a- you know all kinds of like racial epithets and crazy what stuff. Racial epithet are they giving you I, there were people who would drop n-bombs which was really weird because i was like where is that coming from <laughs> like that's really not only is that a deeply offensive and horrible it's also really misplaced but you know it's definitely like calling me a cunt and like all kinds of stuff like right. that and um so once you've had those people chase you like the the you know the The really angry people. Um, it's not that the the reviews still matter to me, but it's not as bad. But once in a while, if it gets me on a bad day, or if it's like somebody whose viewpoint I think I share, and they're like, I remember one woman read read my my new book, great, and was like, because um, it, it's not out yet, but she had like an advanced reading copy, right? And, and she, say? she was like, ugh, it's so you know, it's so body shaming and it's this and that, all this stuff I did not intend. It's a book about, you know, it's lesbian lesbian teens. It's inspired by The Great Gatsby, but with girls in the Hamptons set in 2014. And there's a lot of superficiality. And that's one of the big things that we play with in the book, obviously, is, is the superficial versus the real. And so there is some focus on appearance, appearance, appearance. And this person took The fictional narrator's point of view to be my point of of view, which they always will, which I've never written fiction before. Oh,
0: yeah, and they will say, you know, she said, Bed in Casa Mm feels
1: exactly. And I was, this was one of those first early reviews, and I was just like, what? Like, this, but I'm an ally, and this person thinks that I'm like, you know, I'm homophobic or something, or what? I'm so confused, and um, so that gets me when I, when I think I'm like, but I'm on their side, you know, I'm your, does you. it make you
0: angry and upset? Sometimes. Yeah. There was, um, there was this, it's funny cause, um, I was reading the reviews for this podcast of which I, which there were many more and, um, and, and that there were a few these that are really nice. And then there was this one that was just like, this podcast gets amazing guests it's too bad that the host, Anna David, has what my mother would call an unfortunate personality. Not that I've memorized every word of it. And so one of the comforts of those people who really always trash you on Amazon is that you then go click on their name and they've gone and trashed everything and then they love a Justin Bieber album or whatever and you go, oh, okay. And you're like, we, I get it. I it's fine. Get it. I'm fine not having you. And I looked and she had given all these other podcasts a rave review. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, it really is about She me. was like, what
1: the fuck with Mark Marin is brilliant, but Anna David talks about herself too much. Addiction and recovery
0: podcast. I was like, oh man. But you know, and that one really—that hurt. You know, but most of the time, I mean, I agree. The like vitriol and the ones where it's so clear that it doesn't have to do with you, mm-hmm. just gives you a sort of tougher skin.
1: It's, I think so, and it's also. There's been a couple times when – you're not, like, supposed to do this, but there have been a couple times when I read negative reviews that were really smart, yeah. that were good, that I actually have – it's happened twice, I think, that I'd actually reached out to the person who yeah. wrote it and just been like, hey, man, I know you didn't like the book or, or you didn't like these aspects of it, but you're writing – there's a, a girl online on Goodreads, actually, who I reached out to, and I was like – I didn't even say I'm sorry you didn't like the book because I'm not sorry. No. I, li- oh, I like the book. Yeah. I was just like – she had some critical comments about my novel. I'd never written Fish before. First, first right. novel that I took with me that helped me write my second book. Interesting. And wow. I told her that. I was like, you you helped me. And she was like, oh my gosh, I hope I didn't insult you. Because you know, when you push back, they're like, oh. They either get really fighty or they're right. like, oh. But I wasn't insulting her. I was saying thank you. And I was like, no, no. Like, you did. You really thought about this. Like You took something I spent a lot of my life on and you really thought about it. And you didn't say, like, this girl's a stupid bitch. You right. said, I don't like the way this character speaks and acts, and I think it didn't ring true to me, and here's why. I was like, it was really smart, and it really, it actually helped me. No, I'm not going to do that for everybody. You're I'm, the one I'm writer like, who's ever done I might that. never do that ever again. Right. Like, I probably never will do that again. But with two people in particular, they helped me see places where I had actually been insensitive um, as, like, where I had missed some stuff. Right. Um, where i had been unconsciously like sh- kind of shitty um and just and where it just artistically wasn't that great and you know cuz it's not a perfect book
0: <laughs> it's... but that's really big of you and un- you know characteristic of a writer well it's that not that. something i'm going to make a habit of yeah. but i
1: did this just this time i it, it really these two girls both were of assistance because i was like hmm and then but then you get these fucking trolls who are just like I hate this wah, wah, wah. and right. you know there was this thing with this author Kathleen Hale that happened she's a YA author really funny I'm sure her book's awesome good good writer and um she you know complained about book bloggers and they like fl- it, to an extent in an interview and she flipped out and, and she didn't flip out, out. Yeah. they flipped out they yeah. flipped out and I understood both sides of the situation very much because I was like, I, I get it. I get where she's coming from. I get where they're coming from. Like, these are people who just love books so much that it is just such a passion and such a passion to the point where with some people they don't realize there's a human being behind it. I think that's a...
0: A big thing, and also it's sort of like celebrity coverage back before it was just what it is now. Back when you know I worked at Premiere, and and there's such a huge dichotomy. Well, in, that's even worse because the dichotomy between the very smart person writing a lot of these this industry news and the person they're covering, they're so you know, there's a lot of jealousy that is unconscious. And I do think book bloggers, many of them wish they
1: could write books. And want to and are trying and it's a shitty hard it's a shitty industry. It's the worst. It's really hard. It's it's a really hard industry. It's worse than comedy, don't you think? Yes. I think it is. Yes, absolutely. I think um, I think that hmm, that's interesting. I've never compared them in my head before. I think publishing has more room for women i'll say that Mm. because women are the buyers Mm -hmm. largely are the buyers but then again publishing is i mean there are people out there writing like book bloggers writing these beautiful reviews that are so amazing that i'm like why don't you have a book deal maybe that some and some folks actually don't want it they're just like some people are that true critic and i don't mean a troll i mean like a true Critically, a Pauline Kale who just they're made to just experience art and interpret it and express it and there there's a a Roger Ebert like what a gift he had man I like to read I'll read reviews that he's written of
0: movies you haven't even seen yeah
1: that I'm never gonna fucking see
0: right because there's
1: a wisdom and a humanity and like a love there um and that's that's a rare bird you know I think it's a lot easier to be like well this is dumb (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But comedy versus publishing, interesting. I wonder which is... Which is... Which is crueler. Crueler, yeah. It's interesting, like, which is crueler to people of color, which is crueler to women, which is crueler to humans in general, which is crueler to, you know, people trying to be... Um, gosh, it's so interesting. I could talk well, about this for I, eight years. Yeah, no,
0: that is interesting. Because, I I, you know, I, I think publishing is across the board cruel. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, a guy, or...
1: There is of sort of a universal... And that's sort of endearing about it. Also, people don't realize that a lot of editors, a lot of book editors, don't make a ton of money. No, I know. And even agents... Don't necessarily make a ton of money. No, and authors we don't necessarily make a ton oh. of money. J.K. Rowling is doing fine. If
0: they listen to this podcast, they know, you know, and that's yeah. that's the cruelty. The cruelty is not is not anything but the money, you know, which is why I don't want to do it anymore. It's like fuck this. It's intense. It but is intense. but 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 you you have managed to your 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 Agora Fabulous is being made into a TV show, right?
1: Hopefully, it's a pilot right now. It's with USA and the um, it's with the production company is ABC Studios, and then my executive producers are a woman named Debbie Liebling who is over at Ben Stiller's company Red Hour and then um, Mason Novak and uh, Diablo Cody, which who worked together, you. which you is you see, great.
0: Together, you wrote the pilot.
1: No, I wrote the pilot, That's and amazing. they just like they they oversaw, like Diablo supervised, and Mason and Debbie did too. Basically, like they all, you know, we bounced. I bounced it off them, and they gave their notes. They right. were super helpful, and so now it's um now it's at USA, and we're just waiting to hear what they think of it. And you know, it, it goes through like in your contract, you you have to go through. I think three drafts, I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like a book contract that you owe them certain amounts of things. And so it's, it's still pretty new. Like Mm -hmm. they've just gotten the the draft that we sent them. Um, but I hope, I hope they dig it. I mean, it's cool. It's, um, it's very cool to be, to be doing that. And it's not, uh, and and it 's in, inspired by the book it 's adapted from the book, but it 's not the book, so mm-hmm. the main character 's name is Sarah, but she 's not necessarily me right she has a family that 's similar to mine, but they 're not the same as mine right, they right. don 't live in the same place, and her economic background is a little different, and she is you know has some different dreams and hopes than I had and um she 's also 23 and 2014, which I am not. Right. You look at. <laughs> Oh, thank you. It's because I stay indoors all the time. Um, like a hobbit.
0: What, um, and so great, which is pretty much like out,
1: April 8th it'll be out yeah and
0: you're going around and and mm-hmm. talking to people about it you're gonna be in New York
1: I'm gonna be in New York I'm doing uh, an event at Books of Wonder on mm-hmm. Wednesday April 16th <gasps> that's a great store I'm very excited to do Chelsea, an event there right? I've never done an event there yeah it's 18 West 18th Street yes and that is uh Wednesday April 16th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. so if you you know if if somebody's at work I understand but come later because my mom is bringing cake. So Yum. you can have cake and yes. cookies, yeah. And then um, there's, but there's an event here in LA at Book Soup. Oh
0: yeah, it's already on my calendar.
1: Awesome. That's April 9th mm-hmm. at seven p.m. at Book Soup in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I did. Oh, I did I did an Agora Fabulous reading there, and it was very exciting because. Um, who was there? The man. Okay, so he wasn't there for me, but um, who's the man who plays Dexter?
0: Michael C. Hall.
1: Yeah, he was there. And I don't think he bought my book, but he looked at the cover, and I got really excited.
0: That's almost as cool as the time I parked in front of Book Soup, because I was going to a party sort of across the street, and there was no parking. Mm -hmm. And the dude, as in the guy that the Big Lebowski was based on, was there.
1: The real dude? The real dude. Whoa, cool. People were freaking the F out. People... There's like a whole philosophy surrounding that film and like a cult of oh. awareness oh, and, and belief. Oh, like
0: fe- yeah, festivals and like
1: it's really cool.
0: Um, but my question, and then you also go to colleges and speak to college students mm-hmm. about depression and panic attacks. Yeah, and I that talk kind to them.
1: Thing. Basically, I'm there to in and sometimes entertaining and sometimes poignant fashion mm. share my story and and introduce them to the idea which some of them are familiar with some of them are not that it does not make you a bad or weak person to ask for help right and so because there are 1100 suicides on college campuses um every year and so that's in, in the united states um and so that is bad and not good and so in order to help to make a tiny dent in changing that um i just go out there i share my story and um it's cool i like it. it's the most rewarding thing i do um it is pound for pound minute for minute the most financially and emotionally rewarding i know i do it too. too i, I know it. i wish i could do it all the it's time it's great i'm just like oh that's amazing and actually um you know who's been on tour a lot? My we have the same um, representation, Laverne Cox from Orange Is oh, the New yeah, Black. Yeah, yeah. She's always going. I mean, yeah. imagine how inspiring that is yeah. to a kid. Oh my god! Like just amazing and you know dan savage does a lot of colleges a lot of people do colleges oh yeah i, mean, I, I do think a, a lot of
0: writers if they can because oh, it augments that absolutely
1: augments art it makes you get to be around people i get to be around people i get to travel and see the country and you get
0: to see i get to see the most random towns ever Me too. and sort of get grateful for where i live and mm-hmm. all this stuff Middle um, of
1: nowhere and I just and I hang out and you know what? And I go to Ruby Tuesday with the kids. Right. And I'm just like, What's going on? And they like talk to me. And oh yeah. Like, I'm like, what's cool now? I'm old. What's going on? And they're like, Oh, let me tell you. You're like,
0: let me tell you about my affair with a college student.
1: Oh I've got God. a story about I've got it. a story in True Tales of Lust and Love Available available now. On from soft School past.
0: Um, well, you are a total delight. Oh, and thank you why, so much. So, so where you. can people find you?
1: So, I'm on Twitter constantly. Yes. And it's at Sarah J. Benincasa. It's S A R A J B E N I N C A S A. Or sarahbenincasa.com or facebook.com slash official Sarah Benincasa uh, or instagram.com slash sarahjbenincasa. You can go to all of those places and we can hang out.
0: You can know and what you should know is that she can't be your Facebook friend. I've tried. She's got all over five. You I, you
1: know what I did that account deleted. I actually deleted but it still comes up I have the I have a fan page oh you sure do and then I have a Secret. There I have a little page that runs the van page, but I don't have any friends. I don't even think John is my friend. I don't have a picture up, nothing.
0: Speaking of John, a fun thing to do on Twitter is follow John DeVore too, because yes. you can see them experience the same thing and have different reactions to it. It's especially fun during, say, an Oscar's.
1: It's true. We sit next to each other yeah. and just talk about the same stuff and like don't look at each other and then once in a while we'll look at each other's tweets and laugh and like retweet them. But it's <laughs> just it's we're just both like live tweeting the Oscars or some kind of event like that is a great exercise I find for joke writing you see what lands I mean that's what Twitter is so much you see what lands with people and you can then take that and incorporate that into a piece of writing if it's not super, you know, timely. God,
0: that's so true. I do that
1: with stuff with, uh, and, and it works with inspirational stuff too. When you write something, like you see something inspirational and gets tweeted a, a bunch of times, you're like, oh, okay.
0: Except that it's not an exact science, and no. a lot of it has to do with timing sure. and if Rob Delaney retweets you, and you know, mm-hmm. all of these other things.
1: Twitter is like a big, big party. And the super cool kids are definitely, like there's different pockets of super cool kids talking to each other in different corners. Yeah. And you can kind of, and then there's like the outer ring and it's very, it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a, but Twitter is funny. He's at uh, J-O-H-N-D-E-V-O-R-E, John DeVore. Where are you on Twitter, Anna David?
0: You know, you follow me. I'm at, at Anna B. David and you can oh. also follow at After Party Chat. Oh.
1: Oh, yes. How exciting!
0: Um, yes, tweet at uh, tweet at us. Yeah, dude. Please. Okay, you're a delight. We're done. Thank so you. Good. You guys, don't you just want to take her in your little palm of your hands and cradle her or something like that? Sarah Casa, author, comedian, uh, memoirist, novelist, all-around great gal, storyteller. Go buy her book. Great. Follow her on Twitter and in general become a Benincasa at if you know what's good for you. I just made that up.